everyone. So glad that you've chosen to join us this morning. We're going to be having a Christmas message today that is perhaps a little bit different than things that we've done in the past, in that we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph, who is uh, Jesus's earthly father. And uh, I think that we're going to be able to gain some insights into what this season is about, how we can respond to the birth of Jesus in very helpful ways by looking at his life. And there's really only five times in the book of Matthew that Joseph is mentioned. And so it's quite easy to go through each of those times and to kind of piece together Joseph's experience of Jesus, and that will help us know how we can anticipate Jesus coming into our life. The first time that we see him mentioned is in Matthew chapter 1. And this is the genealogy that begins with Abraham, goes through David, and actually ends with Joseph and Mary. So, I mean, this is remarkable already that you have uh, Israel's history being summarized and it ends with you. I mean, that's incredible. And so what we find is that it began with Abraham, who is the... uh, who is, you know, Israel's father, and he's the one who's symbolized as bringing the promises of God into the people of Israel and into the nations. And then we have at the pinnacle of Israel's history, uh, David, King David. And this is the lineage that uh, through Mary and Joseph, through their son, is now all going to be fulfilled. So think of a hope that has been anticipated for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's now going to be fulfilled, uh, not just in your lifetime, but through your son. This is incredible. So uh, the fulfillment of all of Israel's hopes is focused on, on Joseph and his son, obviously, Jesus. So that's the first mention. The second mention, then, is in uh, chapter 2, and uh, this is Uh, sorry, later on in chapter 1. And this is really interesting. You know, you think of being Jesus's earthly father, kind of a, maybe a stepfather would be a more accurate way to say it. But you, you picture what that's like, and you think, wow, that would be amazing. Well, it starts off really rough. Imagine, if you will, that you're engaged to somebody, and during the engagement, you find out that uh, your your bride-to-be is pregnant. And then she explains what's going on, and she says, yeah, um, God made me pregnant. I mean, like, really? Is that the best you've got? It's a, uh, it's a crazy story. Nothing like this happened before, obviously after. And can you imagine being Joseph listening to Mary explain what's gone on. Uh, How would you respond to that? Um, How would you explain that to your friends and family? I mean, this is is just a a crazy story, but let's recount it, looking starting in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, this word pledge means it's kind of like engagement, but it's actually even more profound than that. If, uh, if Joseph was to call off the engagement, it would be like filing for divorce. And so it's a bigger deal than just being engaged. 
So his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Again, that crazy story. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the Lord and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So that's that how it, divorce even applies to somebody who's, who's pledged to be married. And what we see with Joseph is that he's a godly man. And not only is he righteous in terms of the law, but he's also compassionate. And he loves his bride to be very much. And so we see these, this beautiful mix of righteousness and compassion inside of Joseph. And then in verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Now there's that lineage that's being referred to. There's a, he's, he's part of a royal lineage. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So this is now an angel telling him what's really gone on. Uh, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, which basically means deliverer because he will deliver his people from their sins. Now, this is profound to us, but it might actually be a bit of a disappointment if you were a Jew at that time, because the deliverer that they were looking for is not so much someone to deliver them from their sins, but to deliver them from Roman oppression. It was a political deliverance. And this is already a profound uh, kind of reframing of what this deliverer is going to do, deliver them from their own sins and the sins of the nation. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. <clears throat> now, this is profound. It's typical of Matthew. And it's, it's profound in that not only is Joseph receiving uh, an angelic visitation, it's being linked to an Old Testament prophecy. So this isn't just an angel coming and in, in inventing something. This is actually the fulfillment of Scripture. Very important that it's confirmed in these two ways. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So unlike Zechariah, who doubted, uh, Joseph responded in faith and did exactly what the angel told him to do. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So, uh, we start, the first time we hear of Joseph is he's part of this royal line, the fulfillment of centuries of hope that is now going to be fulfilled uh, through his lineage. Amazing. So, uh, and then the, the next point that we see is that she actually receives Jesus. He receives him, doesn't divorce his wife and distance himself. He receives Jesus into his life. And so when we read God with us, in a sense, the first one to receive God being present is Joseph. Very practically, I'm not going to abandon him. I'm going to receive him and be a father to him. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Now, the third time we read about Joseph, is in chapter 2, verse 13. It says, The Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Now, what this is, is a foretelling of, of uh, Jesus, not just being the better Abraham, who's now going to fulfill the promises of Abraham, not just the better David, as we, as we heard about last week, 
but he's also going to be the better Moses, who he's going to come from Egypt, and instead of spending 40 years in the desert, it's going to be 40 days. Um, he's going to go through the water of baptism. It's, it's a foretelling of who Jesus is going to be. But in this story of Jesus is also wrapped up the story of Joseph. And so what we see with Joseph is that he has to do the same thing. And he has to leave behind his family, in a sense, uh, you know, all, that, all that's familiar and that he, he grew up with, his reputation. All of these things had to be left behind as he goes off as a, as a refugee into Egypt. This is huge. And so uh, part of receiving Jesus is receiving this death-like experience of having to abandon everything else in order to be in right relationship with Jesus. Joseph is the first one doing this. Incredible. Incredible. And then we see the fourth time that he's mentioned is just a few verses later in verse 21 of chapter 2. He returns. But let's listen to the story. The Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. So, uh, great. He's able to now return to Israel. And what we could think of in this point is... Um, you know, Egypt was just kind of a, uh, an inconvenience. They say it probably didn't last longer than a few years. And so it was maybe a short inconvenience. And now you can kind of go back to life as normal. Well, if you've received Jesus, if you've died to your past, I think you and I know that life doesn't continue as normal. And this is true for Joseph. It says, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Uh, he doesn't just get to, to go back to Bethlehem, which is called the city of David, to, the, to, to the, his kind of his royal heritage and a, and, a, and a noble city. No, he goes to Nazareth. In John chapter 1, verse 46, when Nathaniel talks about Nazareth. This is what he says. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is not a place that you, you brag about having come from. You know, it's, the, it's like me saying, yeah, you know, I'm from Port Alberni, I'll have you know. I mean, nobody, nobody brags about being from Port Alberni. When I grew up there, it, was the, uh, it had one of the highest divorce rates in the country, one of the highest rates of alcoholism in the country, uh, and one of the highest uh, wages that you could make because it was a mill town. So that combination was not great. And so you don't, you don't go around bragging that you're from Port Alberni. Well, you don't go around bragging that you're from Nazareth either. It's can anything good come from Nazareth? It was a town that did not have a good reputation. And yet this is the town that, uh, that, uh, Joseph chooses to raise up Jesus in. This is incredible that, uh, that this would be the town that all of, that is the basis of, of the growing up of Jesus, that it would happen in a place like that. Well, what do we learn from this? That Joseph lived a life of humility. It was a backroads town with not a great reputation 
And he's not coming as somebody who's going who's gonna to build on his reputation and provide, you know, the, the best of everything for Jesus to grow up with. In a sense, the opposite is true. It was his humility that was the foundation of Jesus' life on earth. And uh, this becomes another huge lesson for us, doesn't it? That if, it's, if Jesus is God with us, and we receive Jesus to be with us, we go through a season of having to abandon all other false allegiances, where Jesus becomes our King, our Lord, our Savior. And then what's in front of us is really a life of humility, a life of self-abandonment. It's not, the Christian life is not where we, we kind of get to, you know, live the dream of, uh, of, you know, whatever Western society promises us. The opposite of truth, it's a, it's, a, it's a life of humility, a life that in lots of ways you kind of feel like you have to apologize for. I've, I've told the story of a, of a time when, um, when we had a, a young fellow come to live with us, and we, we had only met him the, the day before in church. He had nowhere to stay, and so we invited him to come and live with us, and after staying with us for just a few days, he stole our car and, and Debbie's purse. And, uh, so, you know, we phoned the police. They found him just uh, a, a few hours later in the interior of BC, and... Um, I remember the, the police officer telling us, you know, well, I hope you learned your lesson. You know, you don't just open your home to strangers. And Debbie and I looked at each other, and, uh, and not with pride, but with, with a sense of embarrassment. We looked at each other and says, we hope to never learn that lesson, that our home is not our home. Uh, and when you become a Christian, you just do embarrassing things. Not sinfully embarrassing, but things that don't make any sense to the world. Why would you choose to just let anybody come and live with, with you? Why would you choose to, to give away your money? Why would you choose? I mean, I, we have so many friends around the world who have chosen to live even in, in war-torn nations for the love of Jesus Christ and to spread his good news to the lost. Why do people choose to do these things? They love Jesus, and, and God is with them, and God has so captured their heart. It's a privilege to live in humility. It's, a, it's, it's the right foundation for a life lived in faith and in love. And so this is what we find in Joseph living in a town called Nazareth. And then finally, the last reference that we have to Joseph, his name isn't even mentioned, but he's referenced, and it's in chapter 13, verse 55. And it says this. Again, it's a, it's a derogatory statement about, about Jesus, but also really a little bit about Joseph. And this is what somebody says about Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter's son? And so Joseph doesn't have a great, I mean, there's, there's nothing about him that's remarkable. He's just a carpenter. And, it, you know, it'd be like somebody saying to one of my kids, aren't you Greg's son? 
you know, the underlying tone is, I'm so sorry, <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm sure that you would have wanted to be to be born into more of a, of a more noble and prestigious family. But I guess I'm, I'm sorry, but but aren't you Greg's son? But what we find is Joseph um, walking with God, like physically, walking with Jesus, walking with God for 30 years in a, in a backwards, small Galilean uh, town, walking with God as a carpenter, passing on what you have, which is your trade to your son, hoping that, uh, expecting that he would become a carpenter just like you. And uh, uh, this is how Jesus was first inaugurated into God being with all of humanity was through the life of Joseph, walking with God in the routine of life. So I don't know what you imagine or have imagined what it means to walk with God, but this is what it feels like. It feels largely unremarkable. And you're just, you're just doing what you know to do, and nobody's going to you know, draw special attention to the way that you're living your life. But there's one distinguishing factor that separates you from all the other carpenters, from all the other tradesmen is that when you're a carpenter, you're with Jesus. You're with the Son of God. God is with you in that place. It's your only distinguishing factor. It's the only thing that separates you from everyone else is the presence of God in your life. So we have... Uh, uh, we, we titled the, 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 the title of this sermon, Hope Fulfilled. And it begins really strongly with this lineage of, of all of, uh, of, of Israel's history culminating in Joseph and his wife Mary. I mean, this is, you know this is going to be a big deal because this is where it all kind of ends and all begins. And then you receive Jesus, a little awkward. Uh, you know, it's not your son, but you're going to raise him as your son. Gets, starts, it's getting a little bit awkward, but it's still God with us. That's pretty great. And the, but now you're running for his life, um, and you have to go to Egypt. And now you've left behind everything. And you go, okay, hold on here. Uh, the title of the sermon is, is Hope Fulfilled, not, not Hope Lost. But, but this is what it's like to receive the hope of Christ is that other hopes have to die. Other dreams and ambitions we need, to, we need to offer up to God and say, not, your, not my will, but your will be done. And, and a new hope is being birthed inside of Joseph as he lets go of the old presumptions and expectations of what his life would have been like. And then it kind of reaches a, an even deeper depth where you end up not coming back to Bethlehem, the noble city, but you end up going to Nazareth. Not just Galilee, but Nazareth. It's just a, the backwards part 
of, of Israel. And then you walk with God through your regular days. But something is happening in that time. God is with you. And as God, as you learn how to recognize God with us, God with you, hope grows. And you begin to see the, the growth of Jesus in your life. And the result is something very good came out of Nazareth. Something that is the best news, the greatest hope, the hope of the world came out of Nazareth. The redemption of mankind, not just a, a, a political salvation, but the very core problem in all of humanity um, was solved through Jesus. And your life is a model for how that redemption occurs. So, in conclusion, every time you receive Jesus, you leave the past behind, you choose to walk in humility instead of pride, you choose to walk with God in your daily, regular routine. God is more with us. That we're paving the way for the presence and glory of God to come into this earth when we live that kind of life. I don't know about you, but I just think this is the perfect Christian message. That the, that the hope of glory is not welcomed in some ecstatic, dramatic, um, you know, Hollywood production kind of way. God is welcome to earth through people like you and I, people from Port Alberni, uh, uh, just doing regular jobs, trying to choose humility instead of pride. And God says, those are the lives that I am going to establish my presence on earth through. Those are the lives. God bless you this Christmas season as you choose to welcome God, not into some different kind of life, but you choose to welcome God into your life. The regular routine of, of changing diapers, of, of having a job that maybe isn't that amazing, or maybe having a job that looks amazing, but you're not impressed with yourself. That you're mostly impressed that Jesus is with you during your days. These are the kind of people, you are the kind of person through whom God brings hope into the world. You know, you, you look at some, I don't know, some rock star or something, I don't know, pop star, and you, you look at their life and, uh, you know, they're just, they look so happy. I mean, you, you, you learn quite quickly that it's not nearly what it looks like. But at least on the outside, they look so happy and they, you know, they have big smiles and they go, wow. You know, they gave, um, you know, 
half a million dollars to this charity that they, uh, that they really believe in, or they made a cameo appearance in a fundraiser. And we look at that and we go, well, there's a significant life for you. That's how you get significant. And we can discount being Joseph. And we can think that, that our life is not what the coming of Jesus is built on. It's built on some other kind of life. And so thank God that he chose to use Joseph as the model of the first person who, in a sense, welcomed Jesus to earth, welcomed the, the, the hope of the whole world, what it looks like to, to, to bring him uh, into being the king of the world is through people like you and I. And so during this Christmas season, can we pray that we would, be, we would live in such a way and have the kind of hearts that would welcome the king into our reality? Father, we thank you so much that uh, you have built your first coming, and we believe that you're building your second coming on men and women like Joseph and Mary who have nothing remarkable about them. In the 30 years that they spent with Jesus before he went into vocational ministry was, uh, was 30 years of routine. But it was 30 years of being with the King of Heaven. And I pray that you would put inside of our humility inside of our regular life, a sense of pride. That what sets us apart is not us, but you. Living in anticipation of walking with you and of seeing your manifest presence revealed in our lives. Thank you for the privilege that we have, just as Joseph had, for welcoming the King of glory to earth. Let us do it with great hope and with great faith. In Jesus' name, amen.